Good morning, everybody. Welcome. Glad you could be here with us in person. Good morning, everybody online. We're glad you could be with us as well. I don't go to the doctor very often, uh, despite what my wife says. It's not a stubbornness thing, I assure you. Uh, I just don't get sick very often, and I got kind of a good feel of what my body's doing and how to address it, and so there's not very often I really feel the need to go get checked out. But every once in a while, there is a time where I break down and say, maybe I need to go see somebody about this. And a couple years ago, I was having one of these things where I was just tired all the time, just tired and drained. And I thought, well, you know, maybe there's something wrong. So I started to take a little more direct action. And I made sure I was getting a good night's sleep. That didn't really help. So then I checked what I was eating. I made sure I was eating good, healthy, fresh things, no greasy, heavy things. That didn't really help. Uh, and so then I thought, well, maybe I just need to exercise more, started doing some basic stuff in the morning just to get the blood pumping. Didn't matter. I was just tired. I was drained all day long. And so I finally started to think, maybe, maybe I need to go get checked out. My wife said, I already made the decision, and I made the appointment. Here's when you're going to go see the doctor. And I like marriage, so I went to the doctor, right? And so I was getting established with this doctor. And it was the typical questions that they ask, you know, tell me about yourself. Where do you work? Well, I work at the church. Tell me about your family. I got a wife. I got two small boys. Okay. But then when we got to the medical questions, I kind of felt bad for the guy, honestly, because I'm sure it was kind of a frustrating experience. He asked, like, well, tell me about your medical history. I don't, I don't really have one. Okay. Well, who was your last physician? I had a pediatrician uh, when I was 12. But since then, I've not really had a regular doctor. Well, do you have any allergies or any medication you're on? Nope and nope. Okay, well, tell me about your family history. It's pretty healthy people, really. So he said, well, why are you here today? I said, honestly, I'm tired and my wife made me come. <laughs> she thinks maybe I'm anemic. So he looked at me, he looked at my skin and my fingernails. He's like, you're not anemic. I mean, we can run the blood tests if you want, but I'm just telling you you're not. Based on what you've told me, if I had to guess, you're tired because you have two small children. And I said, can you write a prescription for that, please? <laughs> to which he kind of got a chuckle. Yeah, no, nothing came of that, that checkup. I was fine. I was healthy. And not much has changed. I'm still healthy. I'm still tired all the time. But at least I know why now, right? Even still, it wasn't a waste of time. It's good to get a checkup once in a while, even if no news comes about, because it's kind of an encouraging thing to know that you're healthy and that what you're doing is working and that you should keep doing those things. But for every story like mine, there's also somebody that went in for a basic checkup and found that there was some serious health issue that needed to be addressed. Checkups are, are really important things, and sometimes they can even save your life. And so this morning, we found ourselves in this circumstance where we're kind of in between sermon series right now. We ended one last week. We're going to start one in a couple weeks. And I thought, maybe this is a good Sunday just to do a little checkup just to do a little self-assessment, take our temperature, take our pulse, and just see if our spirit, if our faith is healthy and thriving the way that it ought to be. So that's what we're going to do this morning. We're going to spend some time in the words of Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter 7. So if you have your Bibles with you, I want to invite you to open those up to follow along in Matthew 7. If you don't have your Bible with you, we always put it on the back screen behind us. You can follow along there. Or my encouragement is to download the FCC Monmouth app to your mobile device. You can tap the Sunday button in the bottom right-hand corner, and it'll bring up the sermon notes tool, along with a lot of other useful tools that you can use throughout the week. Uh, but that sermon notes tool is going to be the most beneficial for us today. It's got our passages and our outline pulled up, ready for you to engage with, to take notes 
notes with, however you want to interact with it. So as we're going through this checkup this morning, we're going to be looking at kind of three areas of our lives, asking kind of three questions that serve as a basic rubric that we can quickly run through to just assess how we're doing. Is our faith healthy? Is our spirit healthy? And they all rhyme. I worked really hard to make sure they rhymed this morning so that we could all remember them. And this first one that we're going to look at, if we want to check our, our pulse, so to speak, we want to check the fruit. Don't check the fruit of our lives. We're not talking about apples, bananas, and oranges. We're talking about this metaphor that the Bible uses throughout the entirety of its, its scriptures, from Old Testament, New Testament, all the way through. And it's really just a metaphor for what our life produces. In the Old Testament, it tended to be more literal. The, the fruits or the, the crops that our efforts produced in the fields, or maybe the money that our work produced. Sometimes it's very little literal. It talks about what we reproduce talks about children as sort of the fruit of our loins. That's kind of the Old Testament focus. As we get into the New Testament, it takes on less literal um, antecedents. And it starts to talk about kind of inward things, our character. It starts to talk about good deeds, the impression or the mark that we leave in this world throughout our lives. That's what Jesus is talking about in our passage this morning. So let's turn our attention to Matthew chapter 7. This is kind of the conclusion, the wrap-up of the Sermon on the Mount. And we're going to start reading in verse 15. He says, watch out for false prophets. They come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ferocious wolves. By their fruit, you will recognize them. Do people pick grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? Likewise, every good tree bears good fruit, but a bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot bear bad fruit and a bad tree cannot bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. And thus by their fruit, you will recognize them. So admittedly, in this passage, Jesus' primary concern, he's talking to this group of people listening, and he's trying to warn them, or rather teach them how to discern between true prophets and false prophets. A prophet being somebody who has a message from God to share with his people. And in that time, there were true prophets. God gave a message to share with the, the religious or the spiritual community because there's something he wanted them to know. But there were also people, uh, we'll just say that they were less than altruistic in their motives. And they would claim to have a, motive or a message from God, maybe to line their pockets or maybe just to gain some prominence or notoriety in the community. These would have been false prophets. And Jesus is essentially telling people, look, if you want to tell the difference between somebody who genuinely is sent from God and somebody who's not, just look at their life and what it produces. Those who have a character and relationships and deeds that are in alignment with what God expects, there's a good chance you can listen to what they have to say. But if their life is kind of in shambles and their character is crooked and they don't line up with the things that God expects, I wouldn't give a whole lot of credit to what they have to say as a messenger from God. And underlining this, undergirding it, is this kind of universal expectation that we all have that genuinely godly people will lead genuinely godly lives. I mean, that's a theme that runs throughout the entirety of Scripture, but even if we didn't have the Bible, that's something we kind of just understand in our gut, isn't it? It makes sense. If you're going to profess to follow a God who is honest and truthful and loving and gracious, your life should probably reflect that. The, the, the truth is, hypocrisy is kind of a universal thing amongst people. Every single person on planet Earth, whether you're religious, irreligious, or whatever, we all have a code. And we all have this, this list of virtues that we aspire to. We all have values. And yet having this, this standard that we seek to live up to, every single person without exception falls short. We all fail at some 
point to some capacity. Sometimes it's, it's accidental. Maybe we just get angry or we get a little careless and we just fall short of our own standards or a code. Sometimes it might be uh, purposeful. Maybe we're tempted and there's something that's just a little too good to pass up and so we compromise a little bit. The truth is hypocrisy is a universal experience amongst humanity. However, when it's a religious person who's guilty of hypocrisy, it hits a little different. I think we can all attest to that. It just, there's something about that that seems a little more repugnant or a little more disappointing or a little more distasteful. And I think it has something to do with this general knowledge amongst all mankind that genuinely godly people ought to live genuinely godly lives. There's just something that God has baked into our understanding of that. And that's why we can take this message that Jesus has about prophets, false or otherwise, and we can apply it to our own lives with this question of what kind of fruit am I bearing? If I profess to be a genuinely godly person, am I producing fruit that attests to that? And I would point out that the question isn't, is my life producing fruit or isn't it? The question is, what kind of fruit? Every life produces something. We all have a character. We all have relationships. We all do things in this life. Unless you lock yourself in a room 24-7 and never interact with anybody ever, you're going to produce fruit of some kind. I've got this tree on, on the one side of my yard. Kind of, There's three of them. They run along the sidewalk, and they're beautiful trees. Um, they're not very large, but they probably provide some shade. They have these flowers that blossom in the spring, white and yellow blooms. I really like them. But they also have these little berries. We call them bird berries, just so the boys know not to eat them. I've got a two and a six-year-old, uh, and the two-year-old in particular is very curious. No, those are bird berries. We don't eat bird food. That seems to work. But the truth is they're kind of, they're kind of poison. It's not going to be good if we eat one of those bird berries. So they fall on the sidewalk, and these boys, because they're boys, they smash them with their feet. And we get these juicy berries underneath their shoes. And so when they get in the house, and if they don't wipe their feet off in time, then they track this red stuff all over the, the kitchen vinyl. We try to grab them before they get to the carpet because it's tan carpet that's never coming out. The point is these, these berries are useless. They're bad fruit. But there's absolutely nothing we can do to stop these trees from making fruit because that's what they do. Trees produce fruit. Just like our lives produce fruit. It's not a question of yay or nay. It's a question of, is it good and upright and just and godly, or is it bad fruit? Some evaluative questions we can ask ourselves to kind of assess the product of our life. What do my relationships look like? And when I say relationships, I don't just mean our romantic relationships. What do my friendships look like? What do my business relationships look like? What does my relationship to my neighbor look like? Any relationship or connection we have to a human being, that's what we need to look at and ask, what does that look like? And these relationships, are, are they built on respect? Do they uphold and adhere to this idea that everybody deserves dignity because they're made in God's image? Or in this relationship, do I sometimes look down upon people? Do I have people and then I have people and others? Do I disregard some people in these relationships? That would be some bad fruit. That's not something that's reflective of genuinely godly people. Or maybe we need to ask, am I, uh, am I forgiving? Am I gracious in these relationships? Or am I a little unmerciful and unyielding? Do I hold a grudge? Maybe I need to ask, is there conflict in some of these relationships? And if there is, to what extent have I tried to reconcile with this person? If I'm just holding on to a grudge, if I'm insisting that this division is irreparable, 
that doesn't really seem to reflect the, the message of a God who literally laid down his life that we could be reconciled to him. There's something here that doesn't square. I always think of the story from the life of Jesus. Uh, you may have read it, where Jesus is invited to a Pharisee's house for dinner. And he accepts the invitation at first, but, but then he learns that there's this scribe that was also invited to go to the house. And Jesus and this scribe, they really had it out one time, and there's just been beef between them ever since, and they never really reconciled. And so instead of going to the dinner and having a nice time, Jesus says, if I show up, it's just going to be a whole thing with this guy, so I'm not going to go. Do you remember reading that in the book of First Imaginations? You remember that? Of course you don't. Because nothing like that ever happened in the life of Jesus. If there was conflict, there was at least the attempt to resolve because genuinely godly people try to live genuinely godly lives and that involves reconciliation. The Apostle Paul, he writes in the book of Romans, as far as it depends upon you, live at peace with everybody. Doesn't mean there's always going to be peace, but as far as it depends upon you, as far as you can reach out and try to make amends that you can reconcile, that ought to be our posture. That's good fruit. We need to ask, what kind of relationships do is my faith uh, heart rendering in my life? Another question, what kind of character is my life uh, producing? Is my faith producing a, a character that is honest? Or am I just kind of honest? Which is a way of saying not honest at all. Is my, my life and my faith, are they producing a character that is peaceful? Or again, a, a character that is unyielding and unmerciful? Is it producing a character that is patient and finds joy in God's ways? Or is it a character that delights in wickedness and, and things that are hidden under the guise of darkness? There's a lot of questions we can ask, but we need to look at the kind of person that we are. Am I humble? And by the way, it's not wrong to ask yourself that question and answer. Sometimes there's this fallacy that if I say I'm humble, I'm not really humble. That's kind of false. Because if you're wanting to be humble, if you're pursuing humility, it's okay to say, look, I really, I'm seeking after this. I'm trying to be a humble person. Now, if you're the kind of person who's like, look how humble I am, right? You're probably not the most humble person. But it's okay to say, am I humble? Am I seeking to be humble? Or am I proud? Our character is a good testament to the kind of fruit our life is producing and the health of our faith. So here's the point that Jesus is really getting at, I think, in the context of our question, this little checkup that we're trying to do. Is my faith something that is visibly seen? And when people look at it, are they seeing good fruit? Sometimes we get this confusing idea in our head that faith is an internal matter, that it's just between me and God, it's a private thing, it doesn't really have any connection or bearing on the rest of my life. That also is a fallacy, See, a genuine faith, it takes root in our life, and it is about this vertical connection, but it doesn't stay there. It extends to this horizontal connection with the people around me in life, too. A healthy faith is something that is visible and can be seen by its fruit. I told you about one tree I've got on one side of my yard. On the other side of my backyard, I have another tree. It's kind of buried, not really buried, but it's in this fence row with a bunch of other healthy trees. They're lush, they're green, lots, lots of nice shade, they're great trees. But this one tree kind of juts out, uh, and it's not healthy at all. It's just a bunch of, like, pokey brown branches. No fruit, no leaves, nothing. And I don't know if the, the tree is sick. I don't know if it's dead. All I know is next year it's going to cost me a fair bit of money to get cut down. That's the only thing I know about this tree, other than the fact that it's not healthy. And I can tell that it's not healthy just by looking at it. Because health is oftentimes very visible. That's why a doctor can look at my eyes and my skin and my fingernails and say, you're not anemic. 
And the same thing with our faith, a healthy, thriving faith, a healthy spirit is going to be visible because the fruit makes it evident. So question one, we ask ourselves, what kind of fruit am I producing? You gotta check the fruit. Next thing we wanna look at, we want to examine our pursuits. We want to assess them. What are the kinds of things that I'm doing because of my faith? And more importantly, why am I doing them? Jesus talked about false prophets in the previous part of his sermon. What we're about to read now, he kind of shifts gears a little bit. He starts talking about false disciples. So let's take a look at what he says in verse 21. It says, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name drive out demons and in your name perform many miracles? And then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoers. So in order to really appreciate what Jesus is saying here, because it sounds like he's kind of being a little mean at first glance, but to understand what he's saying here, let's start to pick apart a few details and take notes. These people that address him, they call him Lord, Lord, which in the first century, that was a way of really acknowledging that somebody was important. Jesus was a big deal, and they kind of saw that. Now, they didn't understand fully who Jesus was. There's no way they knew that he was the divine son of God made flesh. There's no way they could have known that he was going to lay down his life so that our sins could be atoned for, that we could be reconciled to God, that our sin would be washed away. We have this everlasting life with the Father. There's no way they knew that because the gospel hadn't made, been made that plain and clear at this point in Jesus' ministry. But even still, they could look at Jesus and know this is somebody from God. He is important. And because he was important, they wanted to do things in his name. And so they did big, important things. They, uh, they, they did exorcisms, and they did miracles, and, and, and they prophesied. These weren't like little things, like, Jesus, in your great name, we went and picked up trash from our neighborhood and make it look a little cleaner and nicer. These were like big, flashy, big spiritual things. And Jesus acknowledges that they have done these things for him. However, he doesn't give them any room to doubt. As much as they've done, it is not something that is sufficient in his eyes. He says to them, I never knew you, away from me, you evildoers. Or in other translations, it says, away from me, you lawbreakers. They hadn't upheld the things that God had asked people to do and to live out. He gave as much indication at the beginning of that passage. Uh, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, and I, but they will not enter the kingdom of heaven, but only he who does the will of my Father in heaven. See, these people, these disciples that Jesus is talking about, they were very busy doing lots of things. They just weren't the faithful things that God had really asked his people to do. And there's a really important point for us to pick up on, especially in our day and age and in our culture. Busyness is not the same thing as faithfulness. That's important to hear. It's illustrated in the life of a, a guy named Chet. I read his story in a book uh, a while back. Chet was, he worked most of his professional career in the automotive industry. Uh, he started off in the design department and a manufacturer, and then he got a promotion, and then another promotion, another promotion. And about midway through his career, kind of towards the end, he was one of the top executives at a major U.S. auto manufacturer. And every time he got a promotion, it asked a little bit more from him. A little more time, a little more energy, a few more weekends, a few more nights, a little bit more of your vacation time. It just kept taking a little bit more, but... Chet always justified this by saying, I'm doing it for my family. I'm doing it for them. 
I want them to be secure. I want them to have nice things. I want them to have a nice house. I want them to drive a nice car. I want them to take nice trips. I'm doing this for them. He recognized that these were very important people in his life. But of all the things that Chet was doing, none of it was actually what his family wanted from him. And his wife made that clear to him one night in a very difficult conversation when she said, either something has to change or I have to go. Because sure, it's nice to have security and a nice house and nice cars and nice trips and everything, but what his family really wanted was Chet's attention and Chet's time and Chet's presence. What they really wanted was him. Busyness was not the same thing as faithfulness in his story, and it's the same with us. It's very easy to be busy in faith and in faithful activities and assume that that is faithfulness. And we can almost come to view our our spirit and our, our faith life almost as like a punch card. And I did this, and I did this, and I did this, and I did this. Oh, look, I filled it up. I really care about Jesus, right? You can turn in the pearly gates for your free t-shirt. The reality is we have all kinds of things that we can do and all of them good. We encourage people to stay busy praying, to be reading your Bible, to attend weekly worship, join a small group, join a Sunday school class, take a class some night during the week. You can volunteer in the kids' ministry. You can volunteer for the building and grounds team. We've got VBS coming up. Make sure you help out with that. There's lots of good deeds and organizations that we can volunteer with throughout town. There's all kinds of good, pleasing spiritual things that we can do, important things. And some of them are very good at cultivating a strong and vibrant faith. But that is not the same thing. Doing those things is not the same thing as having a strong and vibrant faith. It's easy to confuse busyness with faithfulness. And when we look at these words of Jesus, I think there's a strong warning in there that a healthy spirit is not just a bunch of external things. In the previous section of scripture, we saw that it's not just internal. It's not just a a me and God thing. It should be visible. It should be affecting every sphere of my life. Here we learn that a healthy spirit is not just outward things and doing more and more and more. There's some place in the middle here. This middle place where inwardly we are thriving and outwardly we are expressing the things and the convictions that we hold true. And we find that balance when we look at this third part. We've got to check the fruits. We've got to assess our pursuits. And our final rhyming word for this morning, we've got to examine the root. We've got to look at where we're planted or more specifically who we are planted in. Where we plant something, the kind of soil that it's rooted in, plays a huge role in the health of a plant. I didn't realize that. I'm very dumb when it comes to plants. And that was no more evident to me than when my wife and I went to Farm King a few weeks ago. We were talking about planting some plants, some flowers, and we needed potting soil. And so I went into Farm King expecting to find a bag labeled potting soil and buy that only to find out there are so many different kinds of soil. There's all-purpose potting mix. There's all-purpose potting mix plus. There's moisture control potting mix. There's all-American topsoil. There's all-American soil for outdoor use. There's outdoor soil for vegetables and herbs, which I guess is different. There's mushroom compost. There's all kinds of dirt that you can put your plants in. I just wanted dirt. Apparently, I'm not very bright when it comes to plants. And so we looked at all of this different stuff And instead of just buying one, we turned around and bought nothing because we didn't want to get the wrong soil because we don't want to kill our plants, right? The kind of soil something's planted in and rooted in makes a really big difference when it comes to health. 
And we get that same impression in regards to our spirit and our faith when we look a little more closely at what Jesus says in verse 23 there. To these people who said, Lord, Lord, who found him very important and seemed to recognize who he was or at least know about him, he says, I never knew you. That's a a term of relationship. Whereas Lord, Lord is, I, I, I know about you. I recognize that you're important. Jesus says, I don't want you to just know about me. I I want you to know me, and I want to know you. There's a relational connection here. Knowing about Jesus is fairly easy to do. Simply by virtue of living in the United States, you will probably come to know about Jesus to some extent in some capacity. And yet we see lots of bad fruit amongst the people of North America, right? Or we we can say that we can know about Jesus simply by virtue of growing up here, and yet that doesn't mean that we're necessarily doing the kinds of things God seeks for all of us to do. That's very evident in our culture as well. Knowing about Jesus doesn't seem to be sufficient for a healthy spirit and faith. Rather, what Jesus calls us to is to be rooted in him, in a relationship, and to actually know him and be known by him. That's a very important distinction to make here. You see, we can see the difference in the power of being rooted in Jesus. We don't really have to tell stories about people named Chet far off. We can just look at the stories in this room. Because there are a lot of powerful stories from people that are rooted in a relationship with Jesus that testify to its significance. Over the past few months, we've had a few people who have just very, uh, without expectation, their spouse has passed away. Tragic thing. Heartbreaking thing. And yet these same people... We're here that next Sunday, hands lifted up, praising Jesus. Because there is a confidence and an assurance that comes from being rooted in a relationship with the Lord. We've had somebody who who lost a job amongst a bunch of other family issues and health issues. And like it's one of those when it rains, it pours situation. It's kind of situation where you could feel like anybody would drown. And yet this person said the most beautiful thing in a prayer request. I I know that God is God in the good times. He's going to be God in the bad times. And he's going to provide. And there is an assurance that is uncommon amongst people in these situations. And it comes from being rooted in a relationship with Jesus. Over the past six to eight months, we've had people who face severe and serious health issues and surgeries have a peace about this whole situation, no matter how things turn out, because they have a confidence rooted in a faithful relationship with Christ. We've had a marriage that was in some rocky soil, but because of a shared commitment to Jesus, stuck it out, did the work, and is on the path to having a, a healthy and vibrant future. We've had a lot of great things happen simply because people are rooted in a relationship with Jesus. And when you're rooted in the right soil, he grows you into a a different kind of person. Not somebody who is easily flattened or falls when the storms of life blow in. My family and I, we spent the majority of the morning in Peoria yesterday, but when we were coming back in, we looked out and we saw a lot of the corn was blown over, kind of laying down. We thought, man, it must have been kind of windy. Wind can do a lot of damage. The storms can rock the boat quite a bit. It's enough to sink you or flatten you sometimes, but when you're rooted in Christ in a relationship Things play out a little differently. Jesus attests to this even at the end of the sermon here. It's a familiar passage. You've probably heard it before. It's Matthew chapter 7, verse 24. It says, Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain came down, and the streams rose, and the winds blew, and they beat against that house. Yet it did not fall, 
because it had its foundation on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on sand. The rain came down and the streams rose and the winds blew and beat against that house and it fell with a great crash. When a house is built on a strong foundation, it withstands the storms of life. When a plant is rooted in healthy soil, it grows, flourishes, bears fruit. And when a life is rooted in a connection with its Savior in a relationship that doesn't just know about him, but knows him and is known by him, it grows into a healthy, vibrant faith that not only produces good fruit, but finds itself doing the kinds of things that God asks it to do. It enjoys health. This may be the most important question we could ask ourselves this morning in this little checkup. Do I just know about Jesus or do I know Jesus and am I known by Jesus? Do I have a growing, thriving relationship with him? Because if that is the case, you will find yourself not just busy, but faithful. And you will find yourself producing not just fruit, but good fruit the way God designed. These little checkups are useful. It's important to go through them from time to time because you may go through it and find everything is good. And if that's the case for you this morning, I, I hope that you are encouraged that you keep doing the things that you're doing, that you keep walking with the Lord, that you keep growing in him in this relationship, that you keep pursuing good fruit and faithful living in your lives. But if at some point in this little checkup you found yourself saying, you know, I'm just not real sure about that, or that might be a little concerning, or I've got some questions about this, I would highly encourage you not to ignore the results of this little test. Because sometimes a basic checkup can save your life. I would encourage you to follow up on this. Grab that connection card that's in front of you. It might be on the table in front of you, on the back of the chair in front of you, and just simply say, I want to talk to the pastor, or I want to talk about Jesus, or would you pray for me in this regard? It can be a private thing. We don't need everybody in the church to know if, if that's not where you're at. But whatever you do, don't ignore this little checkup because we're called to something greater. We're called to experience the joy and the blessing of knowing and following Christ. Ignoring the telltale signs of a serious issue is going to cut us off from that good blessing and gift. So could I encourage you this morning, do a checkup. Make sure you're staying healthy in the Lord. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for today and we thank you for your word. We mine it for its riches and it never fails to reveal the truth in our hearts. We thank you for the power of scripture. We thank you for the good news of Jesus the hope and the confidence that he supplies for us because of his work and his promises. We thank you for the opportunities to, to reflect. We thank you for the revealing work of your spirit that shows the health or, or maybe the, the illnesses of our faith, our spirit, and our heart. For those of us who are doing well and are healthy right now, I pray that we're encouraged that we would seek ever greater health in pursuing you more and more. For those who maybe have questions or are a little concerned, we ask that you would give us humility to seek out help and direction, to repent if that needs to be the case, to seek after you if that needs to be uh, the priority, but whatever the, the case may be, Father, to simply pursue you in this blessing of knowing you more and more, that we might experience that joy and that contentment and that peace and that assurance that you have promised your people in the Lord. It's in his name we pray these things. Amen. <laughs>